Friendlier today. <clears throat> I'll get through this. Let us turn to our text this morning, to Jude, the book of Jude. As we continue in our series, Contending for the Faith. Now, I, I must make mention of the dirty trick that I played on you guys last week. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know last week, <laughs> um, many of you, if not most of you, were put in an awkward position. You were in an awkward situation. I know some, as I was getting going, um, some caught up or caught it pretty quickly um, because they know that I'm not above playing dirty tricks like that and that I can often play the devil's advocate. But because I went on and on, even those who were catching on began to be a little uncomfortable going, where is he going with that? <laughs> Some of you didn't know what to do from what I, were, I heard afterwards. Jeez. Um, you didn't know what to do. do. Do you sit there and hear me out? Do you interrupt me and interrupt the whole service? And say something, do you get up and leave and say something as you're walking out the door, going, blasphemer! But all in all, it was, it was a great attention getter, to say the least. <laughs> but, as I was thinking about it this week, and throughout the week, what if I wouldn't have said anything, and I just started taking you guys in a different direction? How long, how long would it have taken you to catch on that, that I was making things or becoming less and less offensive? But like I shared last week, the Word of God is offensive. It is meant to offend. It draws a line. It divides. <clears throat> At what point would you have been able to tell? that we have went in, gone in a different direction as a church. And sometimes that's my concern, <laughs> that you wouldn't catch on. Jude just wanted to write to his readers to encourage them about the common salvation they had, which would have been an awesome letter, I am sure. But as he was beginning to write. Instead, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to exhort his readers to contend earnestly for the faith. In other words, there is a time for encouragement and then there is a time for exhortation. And I believe that in both times, we as believers need to be sober and we need to be vigilant because, you see, the enemy of our soul is on the prowl. He is always roaming, seeking whom he may devour. And he is cunning. And he is sly. And he is slick. 
And sometimes, if you're not sober and vigilant, he will pull you in and take you in a different direction if you're not alert. You see, he will use people that will look the part and people that act the part and may even say things that sound the part, but they themselves are not set apart for God. But rest assured, church, Calvary Chapel of Phelan, that this church will continue to go through the Word of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It will not change. Amen. And we will deal with every topic that we come across because the Bible deals with every topic. And I know sometimes we deal with issues and topics that are not that comfortable. And if you're not hip to that, (laughs) there are other churches that you can attend in the community. Okay? Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of of James... To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, or I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know, naturally, like brute beasts, In these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. Bam, let's stop right there. Woe to them. We'll be covering verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning. As Jude continues, 
He says, likewise, also these dreamers. I like the way that the King James puts this verse. It says, likewise, also these filthy dreamers. Now, the word filthy is nowhere to be found in the original Greek. But I could see the emphasis and I could see the weight behind that word being added. Because of the fact that these dreamers have perverted the grace of God. They have sullied it. (laughs) They have perverted it. They have put the grace of God or or turned it into lewdness, lasciviousness, licentiousness. Those kinds of words that, that, that... are associated with debauchery, basically. And so I could see how in the King James, whoever it was, let's just put filthy in there, these filthy dreamers, these dirty snakes, even though it's not in the Greek. None of the other translations have that. Jude refers to these men who have crept into the church, these men who are marked out for condemnation, these ungodly men, these men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny God as dreamers. He refers to them as dreamers, as those who who put so much stock into their dreams, their imaginary life, as they would into reality, into real life. In other words, these dreamers are in for a rude awakening because in the end, it's not going to make any sense like most dreams don't make any sense. They're going to wake up to the judgment one day and they will wish that it was a bad dream. Because of how they conducted themselves. Because how they came into the church and deceived the church. They're turning the grace of God into lewdness. And by then, it will be too late. But you see, they're, they're off a little bit there. They're dreaming. It's not reality. To, to them, their reality is, is deceiving people. And oftentimes, they do a good job of that. But in the end, they're going to wish the reality would have been truth instead of a dream. And so these dreamers, it says in verse 8, defile the flesh. As did those from Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. They reject authority as the children of Israel in verse 5. And they speak evil of dignitaries in reference to angels, as we saw in verse 6. So just like those from Sodom and Gomorrah, these dreamers have no sense of self-control. They will do whatever they have to do to satisfy their own flesh. And it's not just in the lustful, perverted way. They are driven they are driven by their own self-interests. The word defiled means to sully, taint, contaminate. 
but it also means to corrupt. You see, there is no purity in these dreamers. They are somewhat twisted, as the word pervert means. They're perverted. They have a perverted view of life because they're dreamers. They are driven by their own self-interests. They're not interested in others. They're not out for, to, to help others or for, to, to, to be there for somebody else's well-being. No, you see, it's all about them. That's what these dreamers, it, it, it's, it's all self-absorption for them. It's all about them and what they can gain from others. Not so much what they can give to others. It is what they can gain And they are in it to fill their own egos. They are living for the here and now. And what they can get out of others to fill their needs, their passions, and their appetites. That's what these dreamers are all about. And these dreamers, like we've looked already, they're the apostates. Those who have crept in. These dreamers reject authority just like the children of Israel did. In rejecting the authority of Moses, whom God had put over the children of Israel, when they came against Moses, they were in reality coming against God and God's authority, so they rejected God. And that word reject here also means to despise or cast off. They annul it. It doesn't apply to them in that sense, this authority. And in, and in one sense, in rejecting authority, they, they have become an authority unto themselves. And so now they're making their own rules or playing by their own rules, not by God's rules or even human rules. You see, they have no fear of God, who is the final authority. And someone who does not fear God in that sense... It only stands to reason that they're going to reject human authority. They're not going to fear human authority either. And so it's almost like they like living on the edge. They understand authority, don't get me wrong. They just don't want to be under it. They reject it. They cast it aside because it's all about them. And and as I was looking at this, these who reject authority, they, they put themselves in dangerous situations they become very dangerous because they will do what is right in their own eyes at the expense of others these 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 dreamers they speak evil of dignitaries now for us the word dignitary often speaks of to us somebody that's in, in a, I don't know, maybe royalty or, or, or politician or, or somebody who's an ambassador, a VIP, uh, a public figure, a notable figure of some kind. To us, that is a dignitary. But in this case, as in other translations, and your, your translations might use words like um, dignities or glorious ones or celestial 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 beings or supernatural beings he's talking about angels he's talking about those who are outside this realm in other words and so these dreamers 
really don't fear blaspheming even the angels of God. They have no respect, in, the, in other words. And in a sense, they bring down even that realm down to their own level. Their own level of arrogance and pride. Now, maybe those angels who, who fell with Satan can fit that category uh, of these dreamers. But the angels that, that are on God's side, they wouldn't stoop down to that level, as we'll see in the next verse. Because those angels that are still on God's side, they understand the serious, seriousness of the revolt. They understand the judgment that came upon the angels who did not keep their former or their proper domain. They understand what happened to them. <laughs> They're no fools. <laughs> they understand what rebellion will bring. And so those types of angels, these dignitaries, they don't play that game. They will not stoop down to man's level in that sense. Because to them it's not a game. It's serious business. But you see, these dreamers are imagining a life of no judgment or consequence. In reality, they don't understand the reality <laughs> of what they are bringing upon themselves. And if they do understand and know the reality of it and what they're doing, their dreams will be turned into the worst nightmare ever. <laughs> because by then, it will be forever and it will be for all of eternity. Just like the judgment that we have seen in the previous verses that we've covered in the last couple of weeks, judgment does come. And these dreamers are in a dangerous situation. And these dreamers are the apostates, those who creep into the church, who look like and act like and, and, and talk like Christians, but are not. And they're coming in and they're, they're trying to drag down and pull away the children of God. And God doesn't, He doesn't take too kindly to that. <laughs> You know, and, 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 and when we talk about apostates like that, we think of, of those people who really, who really are in it because they are dreamers like that. But I have challenged you as we've been talking about apostates that, that they know exactly what they're doing, but there are people within the church who are, well, born-again Christians, right-on Christians, but they are living like apostates. They're allowing things in their lives continually... And they don't look any different than a real true apostate who knows what they're doing because they, they honestly are immature. It's not a good place to be for the, for the ordinary Christian who acts like an apostate. Because I think, even as Tyson was saying, that, that, that we are to examine ourselves. We are to check ourselves as Christians. Where are we at? What are the things that you are allowing in your life? Can somebody else look at your life and they think, he's an apostate because I know his life. I know what he brings into the church and it's not good. And you're going like, no, no, I'm just trying to be friendly, man. 
just trying to pick up on this nice-looking girl and lead her away. Or I'm just here to minister to my brother. All the while, you're seducing him. Again, it's, it's not a good thing because he's talking about these dreamers and these people who come into the church that, that know exactly what they're doing. But my challenge to us today is, where are you at? Because you don't even want to get close to being labeled someone that could be an apostate. Because of the things that you allow or don't allow in your life. Now, in verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him any reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, this is a very, very interesting verse. In that there is no reference of this event found anywhere in Scripture. There's nothing (laughs) that we can turn to to say, hey, turn over here and we'll read that account. And yet Jude uses this event to show those who are on God's side. Don't conduct yourself (laughs) like these dreamers. Even in the spiritual realm, they know better. He's he's talking about this event that happened in the spiritual realm, apparently. And he says, don't do that. Take a lesson from here. Now, because we don't find anywhere in the Scriptures where this event takes place, there are some facts that we can look at in this verse. And the facts are that there is an archangel by the name of Michael. The scriptures are clear that there is a devil that does exist. And we know that Moses lived and he did die. The scripture that talks about Moses' death is in Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6, where it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Nobody found his body. And so there's a mystery that happens there. (laughs) Because nobody knows where he's at. Because I'm sure if they would have found him, they would have put up some kind of shrine for him. Some kind of a gravestone or something to mark Moses... He died right here. But we have none of that. And Michael is referred to only five different times throughout the Scripture. We see in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, that Michael is there. Chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 21. And you can write these things down if you want to go back and look at them. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 here in Jude, and then we have the last reference to him in Revelation 12, 7. And it's only here in Jude that Jude refers to him as an archangel. But every time we come across Michael, he is fighting. I like him. 
<laughs> He's a brute. He's part of the brute squad. He's the one that goes out. And he's the one that goes and takes care of business for God. And he has always alluded to fighting against Satan or the devil. I don't know how many times they fought, but this is not a far-fetched idea that there would be contending here or there would be some kind of disputing here over the body of Moses. It's not a a stretch for us to to look at him and see that he is doing what he does in other portions of Scripture, fighting against Satan. Now, we do know that Jude quotes Enoch the seventh from Adam in verse 14. And again, it's just a possibility, not for sure. It's quite possible that that this verse 9 here could be, can be, quite possibly, part of the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch is not a, 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 a book that is in the canon of Scripture. It's more of a, a, a apocryphetic kind of book. But he, he quotes him here. Now, now, be that as it may about Jude, we know that Peter makes mention of the fact that angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them, the dignitaries, before the Lord. In 2 Peter 2.11. So it could be that this verse 9 is written about in some Jewish writings, but not so much in Jewish Scripture. But what Jude is doing here in mentioning this, in bringing this event to the forefront for us to read, he he is contrasting this event with, with those dreamers and what they're doing in that they have no fear, that even in the spiritual realm they have no fear. And that they are not to take this lightly, or that the believer is not to take it lightly. Michael, an archangel, would have, would have never thought about bringing a reviling accusation or judgment against even the devil. He just, he just doesn't do that. And, and, and the devil, it's believed that at one time he was also an archangel whose name was Lucifer. But it says here that he wouldn't even do that. When they began to, to dispute here, Michael was not going to get into a, 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 a war of words with the devil. As the devil is disputing about the body of Moses. And that word contended here is not the same word that we have seen before uh, as, as it means agonized back in, in verse 3. It means here to dispute. It's a different Greek word. It means to dispute and bring judgment or bring about a judgment. And Michael left it up to the Lord and just saying as they're disputing for this body or however it was, the Lord rebuke you. Let the Lord take care of that. 
And that phrase, the Lord rebuke you, is, is found in Zechariah 3, 2, but it has nothing to do with this event. It, it, it's talking about a priest and how the Lord rebuked Satan. But it does show us that we don't have to get into a war of words with Satan at any time. We never have to fight against Satan in that sense. We are under the authority of God who has given us His name that we could use. Whenever we need to, Lord, You rebuke Him. We, we don't come in our own authority. There's no need for us to have these arguments with the enemy because the Lord can stand up for us. And just like Michael, as, as they are contending, disputing, he invokes the name of the Lord. And so do we have the opportunity and the authority to invoke his name as well. We are to do our part in contending, agonizing for the faith as far as standing our ground against the enemy. But there is no real need to contend or dispute about our faith as we stand our ground against the enemy. We don't have to. Oh, he will bring other things against us and, and we stand our ground, but we don't have to fight the enemy. That's the Lord's battle. Now, I assume that Michael won this fight. He won this battle because we see Moses ministering to Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. So, I'm figuring that God won. I have no doubt that this event took place. Even though there's no other scripture that, that supports that, I have no doubt that this event took place because of all the facts of those who are in this verse and because of the lesson that we are being taught here. That those who fear God will gain victory because we invoke His name. And those who do not fear God will have the same fate as the devil. You see, obedience and honor will always always went out over disobedience and dishonor all the time. In verse 10, it says, These speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Now, I want you to go over, if you want, or you can just write it down to Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, if you know the, the chapter, you can read the whole chapter and it will sound a lot like Jude. He pontificates a little bit more, as we will see. Jude just takes his one verse in verse 10, but we see in verses 12 to 14 how, how Peter kind of talks a little bit more about these brute beasts. And so in verse 10 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter, it says, but these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroy, destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. 
and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deception while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Very similar to what Jude is saying about these brute beasts. Peter refers, is referring to false teachers that he was talking to, whereas Jude is referring to these dreamers, these apostates that he is talking to. And both, and they're very similar, both have infiltrated the church. And they knew exactly what they were doing, those who infiltrated the church. Now because of the tone that both Peter and Jude have here, We are not to think that these dreamers or these false teachers or these apostates are just these kind of misguided, naive, gullible believers who are just not mature enough to understand what the Word of God says. He's not talking to them because if he was talking to these immature believers, he would be telling us how we are to minister to them, exhort them, grow them up. If they're misguided, then He would be telling us how to bring them back on track. But He's not telling us that. He's saying that these dreamers know exactly what they're doing, man. They're infiltrating the church to draw away unsuspecting souls because they're not wise enough in the Word. No, these are people who know exactly what they are doing. And unless they repent, they will face the judgment that is due them. The type of judgment that we have covered in the last couple of weeks. And this is the grace of God. That that God would even forgive an apostate. If somebody realizes and wakes up from their dream, God will forgive them. That's how good He is even though they've wreaked havoc in the church. (laughs) If they repent. But he's talking about those who are in it for covetousness or greedy gain, feeding their ego or, or for money or for personal gain or fame, whatever the case may be. All those things are more important to them than the souls of men but they will not escape the judgment if they don't wake up. These dreamers (laughs) will face judgment. Peter refers to them as natural brute beasts, whereas Jude just refers to them as brute beasts. But both of them are painting this picture of animals who are purely predatory. They are only good for killing And they cannot change apart from the Spirit of God. And they are only doing what their instincts tells them to do in the flesh. They're doing what comes natural to them as mere creatures of instinct. 
That's the word natural. It's instinctive. Governed by instinct or natural. That's what the word means. The brute beast part means a living thing, i.e. an animal, that is destitute, contrary, and without reason. In other words, they're irrational and unreasonable animals. That is what both Peter and Jude are calling them. Brute beasts. Think of a, a, a coyote and a rabbit. We all know those up here. Think of a, a lion and a gazelle. Can you imagine the prey, the rabbit or the gazelle, trying to reason <laughs> with the coyote or, or with the lion, trying to talk them into and rationaling out something and saying, hey, how about if you have a, a salad before the main course? <laughs> that will never happen. Because, see, their instincts, both of them, the natural instinct tells the predator to hunt, and the natural instinct of the prey is to run for dear life and zigzag and do whatever it can to get away from them. You see, and, and man has a sin nature and is capable of many gross sins. But man is really the only creature in God's creation that is able to take on a different nature. And that can only come through and by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only way we can change. Because without it, we act and do what the world tells us, what our own sin nature tells us to do. And these brute beasts, these dreamers, these false teachers and apostates, they reject the grace of God that has been provided even for them. They pervert it to follow their own lustful desires instead. But they will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as Peter said as they seek to destroy the faith, they themselves will be destroyed. They corrupt themselves, Jude says at the end of verse 10. They corrupt themselves. They will be corrupted by their own corruption. Their very nature will drag them down into destruction. That will be the reward for their labor, <clears throat> for their deception. And they will have only themselves to blame. Verse 11 starts off by saying, woe to them. Man, whenever you see a woe in the scriptures, like, take a step back and go, woe. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be on the side of woe to them. <laughs> it's not going to be a good turnout when it's woe to you. But they have brought this upon themselves. And it's not that they don't know the grace of God. They know enough of it to pervert it. And they put themselves in a dangerous situation. Jude, like Peter, gives his readers a clear picture of what to be on the lookout for. These dreamers. These dreamers are not looking out for you. They really are not. 
They are not out for your best interests. No, they defile the flesh, as it says in verse 8. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. I think some people are drawn to like the bad boy image, even within Christianity. It's like, that's stupid. Don't go there. <laughs> it's not a good place to be. It's, it's, it's better just to be obedient than disobedient. You see, you would expect this from the world, from those in the world, because that's what the world does. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. They are drawing from their own natural instincts. And that's okay, because that's the world, guys. That's what the world does. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God like you and I have. So you should be able to spot those dreamers, right? You should be able to spot them. They say that they are in the church, but it's hard for them to deviate from who they really are, their natural instincts. And if you're not aware of this, then you're going to be caught up in it, and you need to be on the lookout. I'm not saying that we're full of apostates here, but I will say that there's people that act like apostates, even in the best of churches. <laughs> They're going after unsuspecting, immature Christians to draw them down, to pull them away. They are not other-centered. They are self-centered. I want to encourage you. Let the Word of God guide you. Read it daily because as you read it daily, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. I can guarantee you that. That if you read it daily, He will open your eyes even to the deception that goes on in people's lives. He will give you a discerning spirit. He will show you all truth because He is the Spirit of truth. You see, because He can't help but do anything else but teach you the truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank you, Lord God, even in this portion of Scripture that we can look and understand, Lord God, the deception that these dreamers bring into the body of Christ. Lord, we know that deep down, Lord God, it is the work of the enemy who continues to try to, to, to destroy your church. And he tries to, to bring Christians down and bring shame into their life, Lord God, to make them ineffective. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, as you've opened our eyes even a little bit more to the deception that can creep into the church, Lord God, that we as believers, Lord God, would desire more of your word so that it can shine the light in darkness, so that we can hear from your Holy Spirit, that we can have that check in our, in our hearts, Lord, because your, your spirit is discerning somebody else's spirit. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you give them that desire and that hunger to be in their word continuously that they may hear from you, Lord. 
to thank you so much. You know, at this time, I just, I, I, I want to, if, if you're here, I'll call you out if, in, in one sense. If you know that you are an apostate, you know that you've crept into this church even to deceive other people and draw them into your own selfishness, I want to ask you, that you or, or tell you right now, you need to repent. It's not a game. And, and us as leaders and, and as mature Christians, we will pray for discernment that God will call you out and spot you out. But I want to pray for you right now. And I know you're probably going, I ain't raising my hand. I want to call you out right now. Talk to me afterwards. But if you're here and you're going, hey, bro, busted by the Lord. Not by you, but by the Lord. I want to pray for you right now. Is there anybody here? Amen. Father, I do pray, God, that you would just be with my brother right here, Lord. Lord, if there's anything that has been in his life that he needs to repent of, then right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that there would be true repentance and that there would be a genuine conversion in their hearts and in their life, Lord. That they would turn from being dreamers <laughs> and wake up from this ugly dream, Lord. And so, Lord, please, change it from within. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You have no clue what an apostate is. You don't know anything about false teachers or anything, but you've heard the truth from God's Word this morning and it's convicted your heart. And if you're here this morning and you're going, I need Jesus in my life, then today, this morning, man, I, I want to give you that opportunity that you would raise your hand and say, pray for me. I don't know what that means, but I want to be a Christian today. And if you're already a Christian, you're in. But you know that you're not. Is there anybody this morning? Father, I pray, God, that you continue to strengthen my brothers and sisters, Lord. Give them eyes to see. Open up, Lord God, their spiritual vision. Speak to them, Lord God. Draw them deeper. Lord, that they would stay the course, Lord. That they would not be moved by anything that happens in their life, Lord. And so we bless you and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand.